invite your attention to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 3 tonight. We're going to use this passage um, faithfully, yes, but still use it as a launching of a discussion of the meaning or the nature of miracles tonight. Let's stand together as we read this familiar Old Testament story, Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the time of harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zartan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. A quick look at the religious landscape uh, around American Christianity today will reveal a great preoccupation with the subject of miracles. Uh, None of us are really immune from that, but uh, obviously it goes in a whole different level uh, when you start looking at our Christian faith as a whole. If you turn on your television and start surfing the channels, especially those that have a religious nature, you won't go very far until you'll find somebody, some preacher, promising you a personalized miracle because this is your day. And uh, most will link it to an offering. And if you want a really big miracle, you need to send in a really big offering. I mean, that's just the way it's done these days. And, oh, there's such a preoccupation with miracles, and we're not immune. From time to time, I hear people say, well, you Baptists don't believe in miracles. Well, that is not the case. We do believe in miracles. If you read the Word of God, there are many references to God performing great and mighty miracles. Therefore, it would be ridiculous to claim to be a Bible-believing Christian and yet not believe in miracles. Of course, we believe in miracles. Uh, The great text from the Old Testament gives us a magnificent discussion of the kind of miracles that God does or what it is, what happens when God does a miracle. And we see it play out in our text. The children of Israel were headed into the land of promise. Uh, They had gone through many dangers, toils, and snares, and God had brought them through them all. And yet there was one mighty test before them, before they could go into that land of promise, that land of blessing, there was the swollen, raging waters of the Jordan River at flood stage. Now the Jordan River normally isn't that much bigger than Biomeda. So uh, if you cross over Biomeda anywhere around here, uh, you would see something that's about the size of the Jordan River, most places where you see it. Uh, And fact is, so much of its water now is diverted that a lot of times there's just a trickle there. 
I had to, if you're wanting to get baptized in the Jordan River sometime, uh, number one, you better check the rules because most places they won't let you do it because of the threat of Ebola. Yes, they have that over there. And the other thing is a lot of times there's not enough water uh, to baptize. Uh, now, for some folks, it doesn't take but just a thimbleful, I understand. But I'm talking about baptism in the biblical sense tonight, in a, in a sense of total immersion. And uh, uh, the Jordan is just not that really all that big. Uh, but here it was out of its banks. It was muddy, swollen, thundering, raging river of water. And if you've seen Biomeda, even when it's flooded, then you know what a normally gently flowing stream looks like when it is swollen out of its banks and just raging torrent of water. Um, this was what they were facing. But on this day, God would do something special. He commanded the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to step out into that raging torrent of water. And when their feet then stepped into just the edge of it, suddenly... That torrent of water stopped. But it didn't just stop. And it was not like God just built a dam and let the water just spread out even further. Because the Bible says that the waters began to pile up in a heap. How high they went, I don't know. Imagine stopping that torrent of water suddenly just like that and having the water start piling up I don't know how high it got but it piled up all the way to the city of Adam uh, miles upstream and they they knew that they knew that the waters had piled up and God put them up there in the atmosphere and kept them until it was time for him to release it again now that is one example and a great example of what happens when God works a miracle. We'll talk more about that because we'll consider this passage tonight to discuss the nature of miracles. Uh, and the first thing we see is that our God is a God of miracles. That's what Joshua said in verse 5. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's the word we look at. Uh, the miracle then is a wonder. And our God is a God of wonders. And this was used to describe when the natural laws of the universe, as we would call them, are disrupted by our supernatural God. Because you see, the natural laws of this universe were actually made by God himself. God is the one who decided how this universe would work. And when he decides then to suspend those natural laws, whatever they are, and work in a way that can only then be called supernatural. You see the expression. There's the natural way that things operate. God put that in place. And God and God alone has the power then to suspend those natural laws and conduct himself in a way that is Supernatural. Uh, when God does this, it is a miracle. <laughs> and for God to stand those waters up like he did is undoubtedly, unquestionably a, a miracle. 
This wasn't just an obstruction in the river, which would have just caused more flooding. This didn't cause more flooding. The waters went up. You say, well, we can't explain how God did that. (laughs) Well, that suspends the laws of nature. That's the whole point. You see, if we could explain it, it would be nothing different than a cheap magician's trick that you find out what the instructions are, and you see it. Man, it looked impressive when the magician did it. But then you get the instruction manual out, and you find out, oh, this is how he did it. Well, if you can explain it, you see, it's, it might be a trick, but it's not a miracle. How can you explain Jesus turning the water into wine? You can't. How could you explain uh, how that God spoke the universe into existence out of nothing? You can't. It is a miracle and the very essence of the miraculous when it is done by our miracle-working God is that it is supernatural to the point that there's only one explanation that can be made. God did it. God did it. He could turn the rivers into blood. He could feed 5,000 with a snack lunch. Explain it. You can't. God did it. It's a miracle. The God we serve is indeed the God of wonders. And he has created all of the universe as we know it. And all of the laws that it operates, he has created. And I would say then that most of us have never seen a miracle. And I would also say that most of us probably, probably never will. We might have seen some things that came pretty close. I'll talk a little bit about some of those later. But have we seen God suspend the laws of nature like this to perform a miracle? I'll tell you tonight... Uh, I've prayed for a lot of people who've gotten better. But to be honest with you, I could not tell you tonight that I had anything to do with that at all. I would not claim one ounce of credit for that. I prayed for people, and they got better. And in the interest of full disclosure, I would also say I prayed for a lot of people that didn't get better physically. And they went on to glory. I can't say that one prayer was successful and another prayer failed. I can't say that. Because they are in the, God, in the hands of God. And, and what I do know is that we serve the God of wonders. And he can do them when he chooses to do so. Of course. Of course. So if we notice in the God of miracles, we also then tonight need to see the goal of the miracles And when they were to see the ark in verse 3, the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. You see, they were going into what we would call uncharted territory. And so as God began doing this new work with them, he started out with a miracle. When you stop and think about it, these people had been experiencing the judgment of God for most of the last 40 years. 
I say most of it because part of that was when they first went to Kadesh Barnea and they said no to God. And it was then that God said they would wander in the wilderness for all that time. So at least a part of this wilderness journey, uh, you know, we couldn't say was really under God's judgment. But the overwhelming majority of this journey was under God's judgment. But still, even though that was the case, think about the incredible miracles they had seen. How'd you like God stopping the sun? That's a pretty neat deal. You say, you, you really believe that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how, how'd you like that one when uh, God was giving them manna every day? Like that one? Yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Turning that bitter water into sweet water they could drink. Oh, yeah, that was good. I'm not going to preach all those again. We just finished that series on Moses. You'll remember them. I hope you do. Not all of them, but most of them. They'll ring a bell with you. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Now Moses was dead. They were leaving their wilderness behind. They were going into the promised land. And as God was then beginning this new work of ministry among them, he started out with this great uh, affirmation that God was with them still. God sometimes then uses miracles to confirm his leaders. He would say in verse 7 to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so God used this time of miracle, uh, this miracle to, uh, to just cement, if you will, to, uh, to solidify Joshua's leadership among the people so that the people would know that, yes, Moses was dead, but the work was still going on. Moses didn't get into the promised land. Joshua was going to do that, and God was with Joshua just like he had been with Moses, and he sold that with the miracles that God would use him to do. God did the same thing in the New Testament with the apostles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders. There's that word again. Wonders and mighty deeds. But it isn't necessary for God to always work a miracle in order to confirm his presence on the life of one of his spiritual leaders. Think about John chapter 10 and verse 41. And many reported unto him and said, that's Jesus, and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. Do you get that? That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist did no miracle. Jesus would call him the greatest natural born man that ever lived. Uh, of those born of women, there's not risen one greater than John. John was certainly a very faithful preacher, a prophet, much more than a prophet, Jesus said. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. <laughs> no, that wasn't John the Baptist. He didn't go whichever way the wind was blowing. Uh uh He wasn't concerned about popularity. He didn't worry about it. He was out there bellowing in the wilderness, and he had the simple message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You folks are a bunch of sinners, and you need to get right with God. You say, well, boy, he didn't attract much of a fallen, following, did he? Think again. Why did they go out to hear this old uneducated man out in the wilderness 
wearing rough clothes, strange diet. I mean, everything about him was eccentric. Why did they go? Why did they crowd, leave and travel by foot all those miles to go and hear this man preach in the desert heat? Why? Because the hand of God was on his life and they felt it and they knew it. Now, they might not have responded to it. After a while, it got to be trendy, so much so that the Pharisees came to him and said, well, why don't you baptize us? And uh, there was old John the Baptist showed up again, called them whitewashed gravesites, sepulchers, whitewashed sepulchers. Why don't you go and bring forth fruits of repentance? Uh, John the Baptist certainly wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. And yet even Jesus would appeal to John as a witness for himself. John, bear witness of me. His point was that you all bear witness of John, that John was a prophet of God, obviously so. Yet John performed no miracle, not one. Timothy, great man of God, was told to watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of your ministry. Yet no, no passage of Scripture records a single miracle that Timothy ever performed. But sometimes God used miracles to establish uh, this, uh, some new thing that he was doing, some new work to, uh, to do something great for his people. Sometimes he would give it to affirm his leaders. Sometimes he used miracles as examples to his people. In verse 5 and 7, <coughs> God told them, Uh, that they were also to erect stones, some out in the middle of the Jordan River, some on the bank of the Jordan River, so that it didn't matter really uh, which side of the Jordan River you were on. Whether you hit it at flood stage or whether you hit it when the water was down, you would see this pile of stones. What did that pile of stones mean? It means that whether the Jordan River was flooded or whether it wasn't flooded, God was still with them. And that the God who brought them before through that time was be able to bring it to them again. You see, there was this one time they crossed the Jordan River the supernatural way at flood stage. But there'd be a lot of times that they crossed it the scary way. <laughs> uh, what do I call the scary way? That's when they get in a boat and, you know, they didn't have nothing but a paddle or push pole. And uh, you hadn't been scared until you get out on a, on a raging current of water in, in a boat when your motor is iffy or maybe doesn't start all the time. And uh, I won't tell you all those stories. I'll just say I've, I was younger and dumber at one time than I am now. And I have gotten out there a time or two probably when I shouldn't have done it. And it's scary trying to cross that water in flood stage. But there was that huge pillar of stones. And the God that got them through that river could get them through every river. And the God that got them through the miraculous way could also get them through the natural way. If you think about it for a moment tonight, you'd understand that if God stood every river we ever had to cross up in the air, it would cease to be a miracle to us. It'd be something we expected. Well, got across the Arkansas River today, Lord. Bridge looks a little crowded. I just soon, you know, if you will, just start standing that river up and let me go across on my own little. Be a good testimony to everybody, Lord. 
Well, it wouldn't be a good testimony after a while. They'd just say, well, there's old Rich coming again, and God's doing that same old thing he always does. Uh, must be nice to be them. Well, God doesn't do that all the time. It, the, the very nature of a miracle, the very nature of the miraculous is that it's unusual. It's not commonplace. But because of what God did in this passage, you see, it's an example to us. Because there'll be times when we come to rivers of obstacles in our life that stand between us and, and the promises of God and the blessings of God and maybe the provisions of God. And we can rest assured tonight that whether there's a miracle or not, God is with us and God will get us through. It was a great example of how this all, this whole principle works in another miraculous event. It's a miracle of a different kind. Uh, this miracle is referred to in the book of Acts. It involves a husband and wife team, Ananias and Sapphira. You remember how the story went. They sold a piece of property. And they told the, the church that they were going to give it all to the Lord. And they didn't. Simon Peter brought Ananias. He had Ananias standing for signs. Is, is this, did you sell your property? Yeah, yeah. Is this the money? Yeah, yeah. That's all of it. Yeah. He lied. There's a two part sermon about that statement. He lied and he died. <laughs> that's it. He lied and he died right there in church. You say, was that a miracle? Sure was. You say, people die all the time. Yeah. But you see, this one didn't stop there because unbeknownst to his wife that all of this had happened, she came in, told the same story, and she died too on the spot. It's a miracle of a different kind for a husband and wife both to lie and to die. <laughs> I heard a story one time about a preacher he was preaching on that passage, and he, he said to his congregation, he said, now, if God were to start killing all the liars in this church, where do you think I'd be? And everybody kind of snickered, and he said, well, I'd be standing up here preaching to an empty church. That's where I'd be. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. <clears throat> well, God doesn't kill every person who lies. Okay? He doesn't. But he did it one time as an example to us. And so we have in this great passage in Joshua a very positive and encouraging example. But we also have a very sobering and warning example from the New Testament. And another miracle that he did. But both of them for the same reason. He set these up as an example to his people. God doesn't kill everybody who lies. But he killed those. Why? As an example. And the Bible says... That great fear came upon them all. And if you keep reading, you're going to see that the fires of revival broke out in that church. Can you imagine how the news of that spread through that community, through that city, through the surrounding areas? It was a serious matter. It's a serious matter still. He did it once then to know that our promises are serious. So God uses miracles. 
and he used them for various reasons. We know that God is a God of miracles, that God uses miracles. But before we're done tonight, I want to talk about the greatest miracle because that also is pictured in this text. You know, the Old Testament is a picture book. And that uh, God paints us a lot of beautiful pictures. And all of them, if you look closely, pointed to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't make an allegorical application of all of these passages. We don't. Uh, But we know that the Ark of the Covenant pictured Jesus Christ. And we know that from the writings of the book of Hebrews. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that, yes, there was an ark that was made with men's hands. Uh, but then there, and it was placed in a holy of holies that was made with men's hands. But then there was a true. And that one is in heaven. It is in the presence of God. And Jesus, the forerunner, would, would enter into that place for us. That, the real place, not the, the type, the picture that was there in the Old Testament. So we know that all of those things were a picture of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, the angels, the seraphim that were on the lid of the mercy seat. They, they, they formed that mercy seat where the, uh, where the high priest would go in then and, and make an atonement for the people. So the ark... The ark carried by the priest, very important, was very prominently set in this, in this passage. And so that when the ark dipped in the edge of the water, uh, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. And in an interesting, they rose all the way to the city of Adam. The city of Adam. The word Jordan speaks of death. That's why we often sing about crossing the chilly waters of the Jordan. Jordan means death and judgment. And isn't it interesting that when the ark dipped down into the water as the priest carrying it on a pole so that finally as they stepped out into the water and the ark got down and it touched the water suddenly the waters of Jordan stopped and piled up the waters of Jordan of death and judgment piled all all the way up to Adam isn't that interesting you think that was a coincidence oh no oh no God in his amazing way painted for us in this Old Testament story A picture of the work of Jesus Christ. And I would say then that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle of all. We have several reasons why that we refer to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the greatest of all the miracles. And the first of all, of course, is the price that was paid. It would require the suffering and death of Jesus Christ in order to accomplish this miracle. God did many, many other miracles that required nothing else but the word of his power. He told Moses to cast down a serpent. Moses cast down a serpent, and it did exactly what God said he would do. God spoke, and the universe became out of nothing. What did it take? Just the word of God. Over and over again, miracles were performed. 
And all it took was some demonstration of the, the power of God. Just uh, some spoken word, touch, transformed. I think about the miracle of creation. I think about a story I read some time back uh, where a preacher was asked, said, do you believe that there's life on other planets? And he said, uh, I don't because the Bible doesn't say anything about it. And the preacher was then asked, well, why would God go to all that trouble to make all those other planets and not put any life on them? And the preacher answered, what trouble? (laughs) What trouble? God spoke and the universe became. I mean, he didn't go into any trouble making all those other planets. But the miracle of Calvary Oh, that was a different story. Not only the price of it, but then what it accomplished. First John chapter 4 and verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we may live through Him. I tell you, we have some great old hymns in our past and uh, I'm not uh, being critical when I say we don't sing them much or we don't hear them much anymore. They're, they're just that. Things go the way of all the earth. But I grew up singing an old song. And every now and then we'll dust off the old hymnals and bring them out and sing them. And uh, I like this one. <clears throat> and I like it. Which Cruz is here tonight. I like it. One reason I like it is because it has a backbeat in it. Uh, uh, once like a bird in prison I knelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt. But Jesus came and listened to me, oh glory to God. He set me free, if you know it, sing it. He set me free, he set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound, my Jesus, to see. Oh, glory to God, he set me free. And my apologies to all you young folks that don't know that song. (laughs) I know you don't. It's okay. It's still good. We can say, I'm glory bound. Oh, glory to God. Why? Because he set me free. You see, that's what this miracle did. We're heaven bound tonight because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. As I stand here before you tonight with those of you here in this audience and those who are watching from home, I know that some of you are standing before a flooded river. You might stand before a flooded river called cancer. Your flooded river may be called stroke. Your flooded river may be called divorce. Your flooded river may be called addiction. You're longing for a miracle, but you may not see one. But I can tell you what will happen. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are glory bound. And he will get you through to the other side of Jordan. (laughs) He will. He has promised and his presence and power is given to us to confirm that promise to us. And don't be confused. If you're sick and get better, you may say it's a miracle. 
But I want to remind you tonight that God has declared himself to be Jehovah Rapha, which means that he is the God who heals. And in that sense, every time we get sick and get better, we have every reason to say, thank you, God, for healing me. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a miracle that you got better. But it does mean that you should thank God that you got better. Amen? We don't have to call it a miracle. We just need to say, God healed me. <laughs> because that's accurate. If you've ever been in the hospital or faced a surgery and had me pray for you, there's one thing I always pointedly say when I pray for people. And that is, God, we know that you are the God of all healing. Because that's how he revealed himself. I'm the God who heals you. You're the God of all healing. And we pray to you, God, to bring healing into this person's life. And if God has indeed healed you, then you can say, thank you, God. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes people get sick and they die and go on to glory. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews talked about a long list of people who died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. I love that. They embraced the promises and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What the writer of the book of Hebrews said, well, these people all died in faith. What'd that mean? It meant this world wasn't my home anyway. <laughs> It never was. I'm a stranger here. I'm a pilgrim here. I'm passing through here on my way to my heavenly home. And God is going to get me home. And he's going to get all of you home tonight too. And that's not something to frown about. That's something to rejoice about. But does God ever still work miracles? Oh, yeah, yeah. I could think of several that stood out in my mind as I was thinking this week of miraculous things that I've seen happen over the years. But there's one that's always stood out to me. There's a lady in our church many years ago. Uh, she went in for a routine a test, and they found a tumor. It was about the size of a grapefruit. Uh, they did some further tests, did a biopsy. It was confirmed that she had cancer very Serious. Doctor's word. She was scheduled for surgery. And she asked us to pray for her. And she was such a faithful lady. Such a godly woman. Um, we prayed. She went in the day before her, her surgery to do her final prep. And for them to do final tests. And. The tumor was gone. Gone without a trace. It was confirmed by biopsy to be cancer. It was very serious. The surgery was the, the plan was to not only remove the tumor, but also to remove lymph nodes. And he told her in all likelihood it was in her lymph nodes that had already monasticized. And she'd be facing chemo and be in a fight for her life. She didn't have surgery. She didn't take a pill, not even an antibiotic. She never took chemo, not a bit. What do you call that? Well, I call it 
a miracle. God did a miracle. That's all I could say. It was obvious. It was known. And even the doctors said, there's no explanation. They made her kept coming in year after year to get tests run and stuff. No, see, they fully expected it to come back. It didn't. Have I seen miracles? Oh, yes, I have. It's, It's never really a surprise to me when we see God do something like that. Okay? Because our God is a God of wonders. It does surprise me, though, that God doesn't do it all the time. It has surprised me over the years now of all these many years of ministry. It does surprise me. That yes, God can do it, but he doesn't always. And in fact, most of the time, he doesn't. You want me to explain that to you tonight, and I can't. But I can tell you that our God is a God of wonders. And I can tell you that in many ways, but all of us in that last way, and as God intervenes with the rapture, all of us are one day going to have to step out in that river Jordan. But we don't have to fear judgment. And we don't have to fear death. Because Jesus took that judgment of death for us. And all the judgment of death then fell on him. So that I know my God is going to get me across. And the the judgment and death of Jordan are not going to do anything to those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? You see, God put this as an example to us, as a lesson to us of the nature of the miracles that God has done. And a reminder of the greatest of all miracles. Oh, I hope you've received Christ as your Savior tonight. I hope you have this in your life. And if you do, I hope God will use this message to strengthen our faith for the journey that's ahead. Let's all stand together, please.